Hey everyone, great to be with you again, uh, and great to have chance to be, um, well, what a privilege just to be able to spend all week looking up to God and asking him to give me something to say, and I'm really thankful that, that by the end of the week I think that he did, and what I want to talk about, what I want to be devotional about is the idea, and I want you to pause and let this flow over you for as much as you can, the idea that God Almighty God, all-conquering, all-powerful God, speaks to little old us, the idea that he would speak to us. Um, so if you are somebody who really struggles with the concept of God, I think the outcome that you would come to would be that he doesn't speak. And if you are somebody who believes in a holy God, you would think I wish God would speak with more clarity. I wish I'd speak with a thunder, he'd speak with a thunderclap so that everybody would hear him. I wish he'd speak in a really concise, audible voice so I'd, knew, so I'd know what to do with my life. How, I mean, like, just let me float this over you. Has he spoken to you? Have you had that experience? If it's, if it's not happened to you, what, you know, how, how would that work? What would that look like? There is a show that I um, bumped into um, in the week, it's called, um, and I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought of myself a little bit when I saw the title, God's Favorite Idiot. I don't know, just like a knowing smile if you've seen it as you've scrolled through your, it's just, it's like a new series, it's just out at the moment, and so the guy on your left here is the guy who is God's favorite idiot, and it's who he speaks through, and this guy, he sees angels, um, he can recite scripture, and he glows. He actually, you know, the cloud comes over him and he glows. And the sort of premise of the story is, how would, how would people react if God spoke in that way? Just sort of tickled me as I thought about this. If God was going to speak to us, God was going to speak to you, what would he sound like? And what would he say? What would happen if God were to speak to you? Today, what would happen if God was to speak to you this week? What would happen if God was to speak to Cass today? And then another important question I think that you've got to ask, what would, he, what would he sound like and say? But what would God sound like and what would he say if he wanted to create a people of trust, of love, of faith, and relationship? What would he sound like and what would he say then? I think it's really interesting, isn't it? It's different how you speak to somebody if you don't just want them to know that you're around and that you're there. If you don't just want them to do what you want them to do. If you want them to go beyond that. Let's just say you're a father or a parent or a business owner or a teacher. If you just want the people that are gathered around you to be obedient and to know that you're there, you can pretty much just shout and bawl. I'm here, listen to me, is what you can say. If you want anything different from them, if you're a parent who wants to create a family that has trust and love and faith and honor and respect, then one of the things that happens is that you speak in different ways. That message has to be conveyed in different ways. Sometimes, and try and reflect on your own experience of this if you're somebody who's a teacher or who's a parent or who's trying to shape a group of people. 
Sometimes you've got to speak more quietly into a circumstance. Sometimes you can't just come in and shout, I'm here, listen to me, do what I'm saying. Sometimes it needs an accompanying demonstration. Sometimes it almost doesn't matter just what you say. There's got to be something for people to see that goes with it to convince them to take them in this direction. Sometimes there can't be words at all. Sometimes you've just got to leave the message hanging over them. Sometimes you've just got to let them stew over it. Sometimes you've got to, sometimes you've got to say something slightly different to provoke them to start thinking about these things. God wants a people. This is my take on the Almighty God and why he would speak to us. God wants a people, and he wants a people that love him, that trust him, that have got faith in him, that have a relationship with him. What would he say, and how would he say it if he wanted that? Uh, there's a verse in Hebrews that's going to pop up on the screen quite magically before you that I think sheds some real light on how God goes about this. So I'm just going to read that verse out to you. So just go through it with me. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son, so get hold of this verse, the son is the radiance Get hold of it and just try and wrestle with what it might mean. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. How does... So keep, maybe just keep that verse up for a second. Maybe just be reflective of it. Think about how God has spoken in the past. So I'm just going to run through some ways that I think that God speaks. And I'm steered. And these, this verse allow, allow me to keep within the safe parameters of what I think that God is saying. So I don't go too far to the left and too far to the right. I think my conviction is experientially and through God's word that God's, God speaks to us in a wonderful way in the, in the moments of our life. I think he can speak like that. I think he can speak, especially when I read about the conversion of the Apostle Paul, I think he can speak almost in an audible voice. So in some respects, the show that I've um, reflected on would almost take the mickey out of that. My conviction is that God, my conviction and my experience only on a few occasions is that God can speak to us like this. God can speak to us in a very real, visceral way. Um, so I almost... I almost didn't, and I've not gone on about it a lot, but it's the occasion to go on about it. I've probably had one or two occasions in my life when I've been in a really rubbish place, rubbish place in every respect. And the only way I could describe it, and it sounds crazy, but would be to say it felt like it wasn't an audible voice, but it really was God speaking. I believe that God speaks to us in that kind of way. I believe as well that he speaks to us through creation. I believe he speaks to us through what we see around about us. I found a lovely little turn of phrase in a book I read in my week trying to be more reflective that said, an artist is revealed in the works they create. 
is the idea that when you look at a piece of art, something of themselves is given away so that you don't just see the piece of art, but that you can see them. You get to see them. So I took time to look at the piece of art that is around us this week. Now, bearing in mind, I love where we live, but we live in Cass. It's near the skip. It's near the M62. God's got his work cut out, I think, with these, some of these recommendations. God, just as I looked and I said, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes looking at stuff. And I looked up. I don't know what the birds were. There was this beaut- just just in the, almost in the moment that I said, right, I'm just going to look up to the sky. God, almost, what's out there? This bird formation is making a way to cross the horizon. It flows back this way and that. It's doing this beautiful artistic shape, just this how, and I'm thinking, how, who's, which bird is in charge of this? Who's, who's, who's choreographing this? Who's organizing this? And I'm watching it glinting away in the little bit of sun that was there with us on Wednesday, and then my eyes come down, and the sun glints down on this, against the odds, in our garden, plants growing. Praise the Lord for his wonderful creation, against the odds, plants growing. But just, and I got soft, these beautiful plants, I'm like, this is amazing. And then I'm seeing this tiny wee spider make its way up the side of one of these plants. And I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking, well, maybe somebody's going to meet their doom. This is quite a brutal moment. But I'm looking at it and I am seeing the handiwork of the creator. I'm like, wow. In his beauty, in the fact that there's reason behind it, in the fact that I get emotionally connected to it, in the fact that it's powerful and it's forceful, and I'm seeing God in his creation. Give it 10 minutes of your day tomorrow, if you've got 10 minutes. Just go through that. Say to yourself, I'm going to remember what I said, I'm going to have 10 minutes looking at the trees. Honestly, see what conclusions you come to. See where you end up. I think that God speaks to us through the idea of an eternal sense. I think we have this deep idea, an eternal sense and a moral sense that just exists within us. There's this idea, I think, to all, everybody that I speak to that there is something after this, there is a reason for all of this. And it almost calls out to us the idea of right and wrong. Now, the Bible says that eternity is placed in the human heart and we don't know what to do with it. I think that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. Even the most cynical atheistic people would look at this word and they would be amazed at the way that it spoke into society, into culture, shaping us, reasoning with us, challenging us over the last few thousand years. I think that God speaks through his word. But the way that I think he speaks the most, the way that I think that he speaks to us the most is through his son. You see what it says in this verse here? The radiance of God's glory, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact. Now just think about for a second what this means for this human being, Jesus, that walked on this earth. He is the exact representation of his being. There's a verse in Colossians 2.9 that says, in Christ, so check this out, when you think about a man, and this, is, this should cause you just to be troubled a little bit about how you view the Trinity, how we can think of Jesus, the man that walked around. In Christ, all the fullness all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. So if you believe in an almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth and all this, all of that came to dwell in the man Jesus. And it goes on to say, and in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. In summary, about his son, 
God speaks to us in many various ways, would be my conviction, but he speaks to us with real precision, real revelation, and real clarity in the form of his son. There is something about his humanness, about his character, about his physicality, about his personality, that we can know, we can see, we can read about it, but we can know, we can experience that will speak to us in a game-changing kind of way. That will speak to us in a way that means we can hear what God's saying. That, that we can know fullness and completion. One of the, as I settled on that, one of the things I realized, so always part of my journey in the week as I prep, is you see the magnificence of God. I have these amazing moments where you see the, you see the creation, you see the magnificence of God, and then you're forced to see the shallowness of your own soul. And as I realized there is this human being that God has put in front of us for me to see him, I realized the two-dimensional way I sometimes look at God. Jesus often exists for us as just a couple of fancy words or some like cold biblical text that we read every now and again, just before we fall asleep. What can I, what can I read to get me off to bed? I'll look at the tiny print in my Bible and I'll read about this man Jesus. Sometimes... Sometimes, often, habitually, Jesus just becomes the, like a tiny bit of a, a quaint character in an old book, a historical character in an, in an old book. There's only so much that we can learn from a text. There's only so much we can learn from a book. There's only so much we can learn from a text message. In some respects, it's like, and I was looking around for a better illustration than this, it's like a dating app. Do you know the amount of confusion you can get into reading like the messages back and forth when this sort of not I'm not I'm not I'm not on any dating apps. This is all second-hand information. The general yeah, just just sense check as I go through that. The amount of confusion that you can get into when when you when you've not met the person. The amount of misinformation that can happen. The text back and forth. Is that supposed to be a funny thing? Am I supposed to take this thing seriously? Is this a literal thing? that I'm supposed to get here. And you know, if you're going to fall in love with this person, if there's going to be trust, if there's going to be a real relationship, you're going to have to meet them. You know that. Today's story that we're looking at, it could be just a tiny bit of text. Jesus does a miracle. We can think of him as benevolent, restorational. But it's also... It's also the story of a man who, having lived with and loved these 12 disciples for these three years, faces his end on the cross and is completely abandoned by them. Yet, I think beautifully, physically goes to walk to them, if you can remember the reading that we've read, stands on the edge of the lake and finds them, then beautifully doesn't we'll get to it in a second doesn't pick a fight with him drops his quarrel and lovingly and gently restores them there is more than words here in this story about the man Jesus we are given this is how God reveals and this is how God speaks to us in a way that in our two-dimensional selves in our shallowness can break through that and we can hear him speak 
through the man, Jesus. So this story, honestly, feels like I've rabbited on a bit and I'm just getting to the text. Honest, going to bounce in with just three ways that he talks to us, three things that he's got to say. And this little text, John 21, if we can have it up on the screen, it's really good because we get to see the core of Jesus' personality. We get to see him. If you read through the story and if you commit to it, you can see him. And so we can learn how he speaks, but we also know that what he's doing with these disciples is he's building this people of truth and trust. So as we listen to him, we can hear the kind of things that he'd say to us. So there's three ways that he talks to us. The first way that he talks to us in this text. don't know if we've got that text up, John 21. The first way that he talks to us is he talks to us creatively. Let me just read through verses 4 and 7 to you. Just try and, let us, try and see Jesus as much as you can. Try and get as far into this story because my conviction is that God's speaking to us. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Disciples didn't recognize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, so that I think this is ace. I think this is genius. I think this is playful. I think this is creative. I think it's hilarious. Friends, I think it's funny. I think Jesus has been funny in this moment. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved looked at Peter and he says to him, this is the Lord. Do you see? So just marvel at this for a second. Do you see how creative Jesus is in this moment? There is there must have been, I'm trying to, let's imagine you're there. How, what, what stuff is on Jesus' mind? How much does he have to say to these 12 disciples? There must be loads of stuff that he would want to say to them. He must be pretty hacked off that they ran away. But they're still his pals. He must be desperate to tell them about how he's defeated death. He must be desperate to, like, to go through all that. This is, and, and, and then go on about what it would mean for them to do. And he will get to all this. But the place that he starts... It's amazing, I think. He says to them, have you caught any fish? Have you caught any fish? He goes to where they are. He stands at the edge of this lake and he makes chat about their night of fishing. Now, what had happened in this story, earlier in the text, maybe you can remember it from the story, Peter had decided... Maybe, maybe in the pressure of the moment, maybe just fed up with all this, of this confusion, he, he does what we often do. He says, right, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do something that's really familiar to me, and I'm going to go, and, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fish. And he's often the spokesperson for these disciples, and everybody else just followed along with him. They all just went along to fish as well. But they caught nothing. The next morning, Jesus comes so playful, so creative. Have you caught any fish? I'd love to think that he just leaves them hanging over this moment. Who's that? I would imagine fishermen can get pretty irate. Somebody, somebody taking the mickey out of a fisherman. Jesus leaves them hanging over it. And then he shouts out again. He gives himself away a little bit. He says, try fishing on the other side. What he does with them, he doesn't come and say, it's me. I'm here, I'm God, everything's going to be all right, we're going to go again. He takes them to a place, 
So you can imagine in this moment that they've, Peter and John, they've got to do the math. They've got to go back. They're fishing. They stick the net out on the right side. They've realized it's Jesus. The fish start to jump out of the sea. It's this magical moment. And they have to go back to that moment that they first met Jesus. Probably in the same spot. And they realized that it's way better. It's better to know the guy who creates the fish than to be able to fish all night and know how to fish. He takes them back to a place and he doesn't scream it at them. He says it subtly. He makes them do the journey of realizing that what they need in their lives more than anything is faith in him. This is how God speaks to us. This is what God would say to us. There's so much that we might expect him to say. There's so much that we might want him to say. Reveal who you are. Shout and ball. Let the world know that you're here. And yet, Jesus looks at us and he's trying to create a people of faith and of trust and of relationship. And he looks at us and he speaks into our life so that we might listen to him and find a place where we realize that faith is the faith in the creator is the most important thing. Doesn't matter how hard we can work, what we can achieve at work, what we can do with our lives, faith in him is the most important thing. This is the place where he takes us. What would he have to do to you? What would he have to say to you? to get you to think that. That's the first thing that he says. The second thing that I think that we see that he does, he speaks purposefully to us. He speaks to us with purpose. So read through with me verses 8 to 11. So they've just caught all these fish. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed... They saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus says to them, now it's how idle and how insignificant does this next line sound? Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. It just sounds like it's a non-thing, doesn't it? It sounds like it doesn't mean anything. But it's not that. The disciples have been out fishing all night and they've got caught nothing. And yet Jesus has come and spoken to them, and he's not finished with the lesson yet. He's come and said, try fishing on the right side. The fish have all jumped in the boat. The disciples are buoyed, but he wants them to really get it. So he says to the disciples, and Peter being Peter, he just runs off and tries to answer. He says, go and bring some fish over. Now the text is really careful to say these were huge fish. They were 153, and the net didn't break. What is he doing? Can you imagine Peter in this moment? His pride getting shunted away, real, realizing who he's dealing with as he drags this bag of 153 fish. Like, it's not about getting the fish to where Jesus is. We've seen that Jesus can make the fish jump out of the water. If Jesus wanted the fish to be where he was, he could have just said, the fish need to be here. That's not the lesson. That's not why Jesus speaks to Peter in this moment or to the disciples in this moment. He wants to enforce this lesson. He wants them to get it. He speaks to them in a way, and you can imagine Peter as he's wrestling with this bag of fish. Who am I dealing with here? He's humbled. 
and he learns the adequacy of God. We see here that God speaks to us and to them. He speaks us into and in circumstances that we will learn the adequacy and the sufficiency of him, that we might be humbled. It scares me to realize that about our Savior. Jesus is happy to speak to us in that way. Peter goes through this awkward, horrible wrestle with these fish. He's probably embarrassed. Jesus is happy for him to do that if the lesson about how great he is sinks in, about how humbleness is helpful. My conviction is God would speak to us. God could easily speak to us and, and reveal himself. He does this. And he might well speak to us and say, here's, here's 153 fish. I'm changing your world around. But he's just as likely, because he wants trust, because he wants faithfulness, because he wants us to grow, he's just as likely to speak to us in or speak to us through a situation where we're really struggling. And where we've got to, through the struggle, we've got to think and we've got to wrestle. It's possible, it's not definite, but it's possible that what looks like an idle, mundane struggle for you at the moment, something that, something, you know, something that you're involved with that takes a lot of energy out of you, that you're really working hard at, that feels pretty mundane actually, I wouldn't rule out the fact that God might be giving you the most important moment, most important lesson of your life, because God speaks like that. God speaks like that, and we see it because we, we see the character and the person of Jesus, and we see in that that he doesn't want to just embarrass the disciples. That's not why he gives them this command. He's not taking the mickey. He's not idle. He wants them to get it. He would happily say that to us. The last thing I think that we see is in verse 12. So Jesus, God speaks to us creatively so that we live in faith. He speaks to us purposefully so that we grow. And he speaks to us generously so that we're in awe of him. This is, this is one of the loveliest moments, so it's verse 12. This is one of the loveliest moments, I think, in the whole of the Bible. Jesus, even though this, these disciples have left him and they've deserted him, and you could maybe say, instead of being faithful, they've just returned to their ordinary jobs and they've thrown themselves back into their work. Jesus doesn't come and scream at them, doesn't come and shout and bawl. He lovingly, cleverly, creatively reminds them of their original task. These are supposed to be fishing for men. These are, these are his disciples. These are the people that are going to change the world. He delicately says, you caught any fish yet? He delicately reminds them of that. He delicately reminds them that he is the great provider. Look at all the fish I can bring you. He speaks to them about that. But more than anything else in this little bit of the text, he reminds them that they can share a table with him. There's this beautiful scene where we see Jesus go and find these disciples, take the trouble to physically start a fire and cook breakfast for these 12 men, even though he's risen from the dead and he's, all authority has been given to him. 
he happily dines with these 12 disciples. Here's the last thing I think that we see. God always speaks to us in a more generous way than we deserve. And I love the way that the disciples, we see that the disciples respond to it. Do you see that? Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. The disciples say, nothing. None of the disciples dared ask him who you are because they knew that it was the Lord. The way that God speaks to us is so generous. If we actually, and maybe we can only see this if we can see the person of Jesus. If we've not seen him, if we've had no encounter with him, if we've not bothered to hear him or respond to him, maybe we would never know this. He always speaks to us in a more generous way than we deserve. God speaks. God speaks to us in various ways. He could well speak to you in the car on the way home. It might be as you look out the window. It might be through what your partner says to you when you get back. It might be as you adore his creation. You can go miles off if this is all that you look for in terms of how God would speak. But he could well speak in this way. But he speaks to us with real clarity, with real love, with real care when he speaks to us through his son. God speaks. My encouragement to all of you is to continue to search him and listen to him.